Hey, what's up? Just got my flu and COVID shots. You get yours yet? Nah, I don't have insurance. Dude, lots of places have the shots for free. Really? But are they even safe? Yeah, and vaccines help prevent serious illness. I'm not missing out on this season, especially with Nate's party coming up. Okay, okay, I'll get mine too. Shots hurt a little, but missing out hurts a lot. Get your flu and COVID vaccines. Brought to you by Iowa HHS. In the week that saw the Jeremy Kyle show axed, the Netherlands win Eurovision, and Jack Whitehall standing in for Graham Norton, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers. Hey, you right? Yeah, good, thank you. Well, on this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, Julia Stiles comes in to talk to us about Series 2 of Riviera. We check out Rene Zellweger's TV debut and Alex Norton chooses his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. So, Jeffers, how are you doing? Very good. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. Loads of good telly on as usual. It's great all year round now. Did you watch Eurovision at the weekend? Of course I watched Eurovision. This is what I'm talking about. When I talk about great TV, it's the first thing that springs to mind. I mean, Madonna was pretty bad. Yeah, she didn't get a great reception. I think people were very excited about just the idea of even doing Eurovision, and especially when I found out she wasn't just doing a new single. You sort of expect these people to come on and just do the new stuff. But yeah, the vocals weren't, weren't, weren't great, were they? What, what do you think of the show in general? It was good fun. I mean, it's always terrible presenters. Uh, apart from that year that they went to, I think it was Stockholm and Mans and Petra, they were fantastic. But they're always just so predictable and they drag it on. You think, oh, come on. Graham Norton obviously saves the whole thing. Um, but I enjoyed it. I, enjoyed, I didn't think our guy deserved to come quite so low down the table. No, Michael Rice got 16 points. Um, I don't think his, his song was particularly bad or not massively worse than any of the others. I was lucky enough to be out, so I watched the highlights. So I pretty much, I'm pretty sure I saw all the decent bits in about 20 minutes, half an hour. But yeah, I felt sorry for Michael. Obviously, the Netherlands won. I like the Russian guy singing in the shower and the weird sort of bendy things. I think that's Australia Austria. polls, yeah. 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 yeah so. What do you mean you were lucky enough to be out? Well, I've, no, I do normally... What do you mean you're having a life? There's a I massive know, TV event on. This is your job, mate. I do normally watch it and I do really enjoy it. And I, you do, I think if you look at it from the outside and you don't normally watch it, you would think like four hours or whatever. That is crazy. But you do, when you're there, you have a few drinks with your friends, you do really get into it. I, do, I always have a fun night watching it, but I was out this time. And yeah, like I said, I sort of skimmed for it. It looked pretty exciting. Most of the acts looked nice and varied, lots of sort of weirdness, wonderfulness, some very serious talking about, I think, like body issues was that France, I think. And then you sort of contrast that with like some blokes singing in the shower. It's just it's just good, <laughs> you know, good variety, isn't it? The new voting, it's not that new, they've done it the last few years, but it's amazing because they, they do the jury votes first and then the public votes. And like Germany got zero points. And we we got very few, obviously, but it can really like turn the table on its head. So that's quite exciting. That made it more dramatic at the end instead of being a foregone conclusion. But let's talk about some proper drama. Uh, Let's maybe start with Hatton Garden, which is on ITV every night this week. Been waiting to watch this for a little while, all sorts of legal issues wrapped up in it. Do you enjoy it, Jeffers? I really, really liked it. Yeah, it's a four-parter and it's all four parts are on this week. They're streaming it across nine o'clock on ITV every night and it's yes it's really good I think the first two parts 
a sort of a lot funnier and a lot less sort of serious than the latter part of it. I guess that's because eventually, you know, they get caught and and it sort of turns sour. But it but it's really good at, at the sort of centre of it is Timothy Spall and Kenneth Cranham. They're playing the two gang leaders, Terry Perkins and Brian Reader. They're really the sort of heartbeat of it, I think. Their chemistry is really good. In real life, the two guys have done some jobs before and this is sort of one last job. They're trying to do this jewellery heist and it goes wrong various things happen you know one of them's the gang leader one night and then after things go wrong one of them sort of leaves and there's lots of sort of twists and turns but there's also because they're all sort of old guys it it doesn't go according to plan it's not a very slick operation is it and I think there's some good humour because of that. Yeah it's quite different to what I was expecting though because you say about humour but it's it's less sort of dazzling than I thought it was going to be. Anything that's usually about a heist or a jewellery raid, if you think of Hustle or Ocean's Eleven, they're always really sexy and slick and glossy. And this is not that at all. It's a load of pensioners doing this um, doing this heist. Not to say that pensioners can't be sexy. I'm not here to put out that message. But, you know, that, you know, it's not maybe what you would expect. And it's quite, you know, it's quite serious, actually, in places. Like, more so than I thought it was going to be. There's no fun or fun little graphics or things like they used to have in Hustle. It's, you know, it's, it's a serious crime and that's what they're sort of looking into. And I think Jeff Pope, the writer, he was quite keen to get that side of it in there. There's been films about that in Garden Jewelry Raid already done and I think they make them out to be heroes, he said, and he wanted to focus a bit more on the sort of human aspect. And whilst I say there is, I, I find some humour, I guess, the, the way the pensioners went about the job and the, the fact they, you know, they're sort of wheezing and sweating and sort of keeling over a bit, there is a much more serious element and he really focuses on those people who had things stolen from them and how it affected their lives there were some people who basically went out of business or bankrupt because of this and so you do get that sort of tender emotional side I, f- I personally think that comes out more in the second half of the drama um, so it's almost a, a drama of two halves to me but it does really work um, particularly as well to, to binge a couple of these so I'd say if you miss the first one or two and you still think it's sort of on the fence about whether to watch it I'll definitely give it a go and maybe watch two in a row. Well, talking about binge watching, can we talk about what if now? Because I've become absolutely obsessed. Set it up a little bit for us, Jeffers. You're so excited you bring this forward in the schedule. I am, That's because I, I want to talk yeah. about it now. To be honest, it, it, it's good trash TV, I would say. I've written down Indecent Proposal Meets the OC. There's you love only, the OC. I do so. love the OC, so I just wanted to mention that. But <laughs> there's three people you really need to know about. Rennie Zellweger, she plays Anne Montgomery, this sort of... Slightly comic business, multi-multi-millionaire. She's ruthless. Ruthless, think sort of Alan Sugar, but with a lot more glamour maybe, and and sort of (laughs) a bit of a Batman villain thrown in as well. And then you've got a cash-trapped couple called Lisa and Sean. They're played by Jane Levy and Blake Jenner. And so it's all about this setup between them. Jane has got this company. She needs funding. She obviously hasn't thought to go to something like Dragon's Den. So she ends up (laughs) having lots of failed attempts of, of getting any money. She ends up in front of Anne Montgomery, we won't reveal exactly how, but Anne says she will give them the money, but only if um, Sean, she gets a note with Sean. It's so, like Indecent Proposal. Like, very much like Indecent Proposal. And they even reference it, which I think was quite funny. And so it's pretty ludicrous. Halfway through, I was like, what am I doing? This is quite trashy. But it also, it was very watchable, just a very easy watch. And so I did get to the end of the first one and thought, I do want to watch what, see what happens next. And so I ended up watching the second episode, which I definitely didn't think I was going to do <laughs> halfway in. I was also watching it thinking, Emma's going to absolutely love this. So go on, <laughs> so tell people why they should watch it. Unlike you, Jeffers, I'm not above watching trash. I think that's a perfectly good thing to do with my time. And it is, it's totally addictive. I watched four in a row because that's all that Netflix had given me. I would have watched the whole thing in a row if I'd have had the chance. And it is far-fetched. And the couple are so bland. I think you're supposed to be on their side 
side, but I'm not really. I'm on Renee's side. Come on, Renee, because like, she's meddling and she's she is kind of deliciously evil. It's so it's not believable enough for you to really get too invested emotionally. I just like the drama of it and I like the glamour and she looks amazing. She has these incredible outfits and she's just meddling with people for the sake of it. In some ways, it reminds me of Fifty Shades of Grey, not because of the sex, but because of the opulence. You know how, you know, Christian Grey goes around in a helicopter and everything is the best of the best and he's got so much money. It's a bit like that in her world. And it's just really fun. You know, this actually not much TV that's made to be fun. Everything has to be gritty and hardcore and actually I just thought it was really enjoyable and Renee's great in it. Yeah, a few other things. Yeah, it's, it's ten parts. It's out this Friday on Netflix, May 24th. Uh, Renee Zellweger is fantastic as Anne Montgomery. Jane Levy's also pretty good as Lisa. The guy that plays Sean, <laughs> Blake Jenner, I mean... He they, really offended you. <laughs> he, he looks great and uh, he doesn't have... Some of the lines he gets are pretty bad but I mean they could have literally used a plank of wood. I mean... it. <laughs> He's, he is not the best actor in the world. I do like this, and like I think we both agree it's worth watching. It's very fun to watch. What Rene thought when she got the script, I, I, I do wonder. But I mean, it's a, it's a great, fun sort of villain character, isn't it? And it is good fun. But yeah, the, it's not perfect. And I think it's going to be a real Marmite one. People are going to love it or people are going to just say it's trash because there's some awful lines in it as well. But but it is, it is good fun. And totally the opposite end of the spectrum to Bridget Jones. A couple of times she did a Bridget expression. I was like, oh, I was thrown because it's so the opposite. But yeah, I, I thought it was really fun. Give it a go. So the other big drama that's just started is Gentleman Jack on BBC One. That's been really heavily trailed. Written by Sally Wainwright, who's brilliant. Starring Saran Jones and lots of brilliant people. What do you make of this, Jeffers? Well, this is period drama, so it's not really normally my bag. But had a pretty good reception. 5.1 million. I think the peak was 5.6 million. Um, Saran is playing this 19th century landowner called Anne Lister. Real person. 1832, I think it is a setting, according to my stats. And, uh, Strong. And, she, and Anne Lister, yeah, she was a real trailblazer in, in terms of what she did. And also, it, it's unusual in the sense that Anne Lister was, was a lesbian and that's portrayed a lot in the drama. And it, so that feels quite unusual to have that mix with, with sort of a period drama. I think the reception was pretty good. I found it a little bit slow, to be honest, just just to get going, although I did quite enjoy it and I thought the soundtrack was really good and Sally Wainwright generally, you know, is pretty solid stuff, everything she's done before. So I didn't love it, but but I thought it's perfectly decent and Sunday night BBC drama, people tend to like this sort of thing. Do you like the theme tune? That's what you said you like the soundtrack. The theme I- tune is... Interesting. I just generally remember the music being pretty good throughout the programme and I noticed a few other people commenting. So I just This is really kind of folky theme tune. I think that's going to divide people. Yeah, I was really disappointed. I love Sally Wainwright. I love Happy Valley. I love Scott and Bailey. I love Last Tango. Saran, I've enjoyed loads of her work. And it just kind of fell a bit flat to me. I think I was expecting this story of this woman who was gay at a time when it wasn't allowed to be gay. And actually... It was about landowning and she was collecting rents and I just found that a bit, it just went on a bit. Um, Maybe that will change as we go on, go on through the series. One of the other big things about it, which we haven't really seen in the period drama, is she did all these kind of flea bag looks to camera. I didn't think Saran was playful enough to carry that off and it feels a bit, we've we've seen it now, you know, we've seen it on Miranda, we've seen it on Fleabag. I wasn't sure about that either, to be honest. That felt like it was trying to be maybe different from a period drama, but... I didn't think, feel like in this case that really added anything. You Like you say, you didn't really get the personality across of Anne Lister in those bits of the camera, did you? I just thought it kind of smacked of, you know, sometimes people get so obsessed with a passion project that they kind of go a bit introspective and don't really think about the storytelling and how this is going to play out to other people. And I thought for the first hour, there wasn't really that much to keep you 
there. I didn't find her as charismatic as she was supposed to be. I didn't find the story as interesting as it was supposed to be. And I'm really disappointed hearing myself say this stuff out loud because I didn't want to lay into it. I, you know, I thought expected it to be good and I'm sure there's better stuff to come as the episodes continue. But I just... I really wanted to like it more. I thought of the two of us, you were going to be the one talking this up, to be honest. I think we're probably speaking separately from the we're in the minority. Everything I've seen, people did seem to generally like it. I saw a couple of people calling for Saran to get next year's BAFTA already. Really? I've got to say, personally, I think that's a little bit of a big shout uh, and a little bit of an early call. We're, we're one episode in. I thought she was good, but I, d- I didn't think this was magnificent. Her hairstyle was magnificent, but I didn't think the whole um, whole performance was that fantastic. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes, but I, I didn't absolutely adore this. And obviously you definitely preferred What If. I loved What If. <laughs> So this Thursday sees the return of Riviera to Sky Atlantic. The first series was Sky's most successful original series ever. And earlier in the week, we caught up with star Julia Stiles. Yes, Julia Stiles, to talk about what we can expect from series two. It's very glamorous, very beautiful. Here she is. This is Julia Stiles. So, Julia, I'm reading this because you described series two of Riviera as if Shakespeare and the Greeks had a love child. Yeah. (laughs) Do you care to expand? Um, it sounded cute at the time. <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. No, actually, it was something that I said to the rest of the cast and the producers and writers after we had a read through of, I think it was the sixth episode, so halfway through series two. And it just, the drama just went to epic proportions. It's a, quite a tangled web of characters in this world. And so by the time we get halfway through, some of what happens is so heightened I don't know how to describe it other than that quote it's it just popped out of my mouth as we finished the read-through I thought but we actually are along for the ride it's you know there's murder there's mayhem there's lies there's secrets there's sex there's luxury yachts and villas but I think what I meant by the the reference to Shakespeare and the Greeks is because everything is so big with uh, emotions and uh, revenge and murder uh, all those all those elements uh, exist in Riviera in a way that I think is in some ways not quite contemporary. And it is so glamorous. It looks so beautiful. What's that like to be part of or is it actually not really that glamorous behind the scenes? Well, it's a stunning place to shoot and I would pinch myself every week when we would be at a, a different, you know, extraordinary vista or on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea or a luxury yacht. The list goes on. It's quite glamorous but behind the scenes there's work that goes into it. And so there were times that I would find myself, we were shooting on the, we would shoot in a remote location and they couldn't bring all the trucks uh, up the windy path. And so we ended up having to do hair and makeup behind a bush and <laughs> that kind of stuff happens, but um, it does feel quite fancy. And I think you said at the premiere, there's one scene where you're thrown about a lot, you're in the water and that probably wasn't quite as glamorous, I imagine. Oh, yes. Um, I didn't really know what I was getting into. We pick up season two right where we left off, and there is no escape for Georgina. So when she's on this sailboat after she's murdered her stepson, the heavens open up, and in that epic Grecian Shakespearean way, it seemed to be punishing her, and so she's find, she finds herself shipwrecked and then lost at sea. We had to recreate that storm, and it was incredible the work that went into it because we were actually in the sea we were at the Villefranche marina so they had the boat docked and they built a big tent around us uh, with rain machines and three giant water towers that would 
simulate waves by by dumping 600 liters of water periodically. And I didn't realize that 600 liters of water is enough to knock over a medium-sized person like myself. So the first three hours were really invigorating. And then the <laughs> next 10 were uh, pretty brutal. Is that sort of thing fun to do because it's so out of your comfort zone or so different from the normal acting? Or after a while, is it you, you just want to get back to the normal stuff? I mean, actually, I think in some ways that is more my comfort zone than I joked I think I joked at the screening that you went to that about that sh- that shipwreck and how the other actresses got to do scenes in a spa with gold face masks but in some ways that rough and tumble is maybe more my comfort zone and series 1 was such a big hit it's only over here really kind of got people got it they really loved it series 2 is bigger and better though isn't it there? there's new characters mm-hmm. there's so much more to explore we introduce uh, another family, the Eltums, who are kind of an old money family living in the Riviera that mirror the Cleoses, but they serve to show how thick the grapevine is there and how societal pressures are closing in on Georgina and that everybody's watching what you do and it's going to be very hard for her to keep a secret. What did you like about Georgina when you first read the part? What was it that really attracted you? Oh, that she's reckless. I thought there was so much possibility with this girl who... My first question was, why does she stay there? Why does why does she why doesn't she just get on a plane and go back to New York? But despite all that happens to her, she is determined to stick up for herself. And and although she finds herself kind of corrupted by her surroundings, she never backs down. I just thought that was really cool. Do you empathise with her, or do you see any similarities between yourself and her? I don't suppose you've ever stabbed anyone with a knife. I mean, <laughs> apart from that, I mean, that's the tricky thing is that I do, and I, I mean, because, but then that, does that mean that I'm saying it's okay to stab people? No, of course not. This girl, you know, is grieving over the. We watch her all of series one, grieving over the loss of her husband, then finding out that he betrayed her, then finding out that there was fraud in their marriage and in their estate, and she's implicated in his crimes. I mean, so much happens to her. So the anger and the grief that she's got bottled up, it needs somewhere to go, which happens to. Be be a knife in her stepson's <laughs> stomach. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> and you, you have a scene with a crow in yes. the next series. Is yeah. that a CGI crow? Is that a real No, crow? that was a real crow that drove everybody bananas. That crow <laughs> it was the loudest. I mean, people were going crazy by the end of that shooting day because it was nonstop uh, cawing or whatever they do. Quite beautiful creatures, but not very good scene partners. <laughs> Any more animals or just just the crow for this? this um, well, it's, oh, there's lots of horses. There's a stud farm, so there's lots of horses. It's such a stunning place. Are you thinking, oh, I need to get a villa on the on the Riviera? This is this is where I'm going to retire one day. Or one can always hope. One can always fantasize. It's nice to be able to go there and work too, though. I don't know. You make friends quickly that way. I was interested in the process, well, because obviously you've done some really huge films as well as doing TV. This is quite very high end, high spec TV, but. Are the processes quite different? I imagine TV shoots a lot quicker. Do you have a preference of the two? I mean, sometimes films can shoot really fast depending on your schedule and your budget. What I like about TV and particularly this show is that you are following a character for a much longer period of time. You just cover more territory and uh, you're just not afforded as much screen time with a film. So... Uh, just when you can get absorbed into playing a character, you know, you're finished. Do you feel differently towards TV now than you did at maybe the beginning of your career? Because I, yeah. I certainly feel that things have changed in the last 10, 
10, 15 years maybe. Oh, absolutely. When yeah. I was coming up as an actress, if you there was no crossover. You were either a, a film actor or did TV. And oftentimes if you did TV, you couldn't really cross back into film. And that's totally changed now. Everybody wants to do TV for the reasons that I just mentioned. It's um, kind of an actor's dream job. And when you get a chance, do you watch telly? Is there anything that you really enjoy watching? I do. I really zone out when I watch TV, so it's hard for me to recall what I'm really into. I know, do you have a show called Good Girls here? Yeah, on yeah, Netflix. Yeah. I'm really enjoying that. Um, I often watch a lot of comedies, but my attention span is so abysmal, and I find that I spend more time scrolling and entering usernames and passwords, and by the time <laughs> I'm finished doing that, I don't want to watch anything anymore. It's time to go to bed. I was going to ask the last thing you kind of binge watch is there any drama or any program where you watched three or four episodes in a row or anything you got really stuck into oh ozark okay yeah both seasons actually there was something about the mystery in that and the the setting and the, the extraordinary acting on that show that i really enjoyed and was very impressed that jason bateman directed a lot of it what's it been like for you being over here in London lots of people stopping you to talk about 10 things I hate about you or what's what's it been like I've been going from interview to interview <laughs> to like shuttled into a car and then back to the hotel so I haven't really I've been in kind of a bubble but I'm gonna go see some theater and uh you know be out and about a little bit more so who knows it's funny because it's the show's not as well known in the United States when I go home I, I don't feel any sort of difference it's kind of more remote that makes sense. It's kind of a, which is kind of nice. So, so are you saying that Riviera isn't as Riviera is not as well known in the states right, yeah, um, okay. because it, season one came out a lot later and we're trying to catch up. I think here it was getting 1.2 million regularly, which is one of Sky's biggest ever shows. I think 20 million downloads. I mean, it's really huge. Yeah. Is it something? I don't suppose you can say exactly how it's going to end the second series, but which, is it something in theory you might like to carry on doing for a lot longer? Sure, we're, we're talking about it. There's potential, and I do really enjoy working on it. And now, I think the way that we end season two, there's a lot of potential for where the story could go. It's it, it's kind of wide open. And do you think going forward, you'd like to continue to kind of mix it up with both doing film and TV? As you were saying, it's it's easier to do that now. Is that kind of where you see your career? Or well, you mentioned th- watching some theatre. Would you like to do more theatre? I would. Um, I did just finish two films in the hiatus between series, and I'm really excited about them. There's a, a movie called Hustlers that actually we just finished, but it'll be coming out pretty soon in September, um, at least in the United States. It is a true story based on a New York Magazine article about these strippers at a famous club in New York City who started drugging the guys that would come in and racking up huge credit card tabs. Like I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars a night. And they didn't get caught for the longest time because the guys didn't remember what was going on and or didn't want to go to the authorities. It stars Jennifer Lopez, who is, I mean, just astonishing. And, and scenes that I had with her, I was like, I didn't know where the, the performance began or ended. She's so not Jennifer Lopez, but this person that I don't even recognize. I do not play a stripper. I play, um, <laughs> I play the journalist who wrote the New York Magazine article, but I interview all these women throughout the course of the... And, and the men and the detectives, and I'm kind of the judge and jury, I, w- I would say. And what was the other film that you mentioned? The other one was The God Committee, which stars Kelsey Grammer, who I know is on stage... is on, yeah. in, on in uh, Man of La Mancha here. It's about the shortage of organ donors in the United States and how when an organ comes in to a hospital, there's a committee of doctors who decide where it's going to go, which patient's going to live and and which patients are not essentially essentially playing god and are you playing a doctor i play a doctor 
Nice, Marty Pants Doctor. <laughs> it seems like a really nice cross-section of work then in the last sort of 12 months. There's a nice it's, range of... Yeah, yeah, I've been happy. I've been really happy. Yeah, it's been it's been really great. Quite a variety. In some ways, I'm just happy to sustain a career as a working actress for however many years it's been. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but that's no mean feat, is it? I mean, to, to find those kind of roles that are interesting enough to do and to challenge you and that you find fulfilling. There's not always those roles around, are there? Yeah, although more and more, I have to say, probably when I was starting my career or 10 years ago, I would have been afraid of becoming an actress in my late 30s. And now I'm, I think there's more and more opportunity and I'm more excited than ever about the, the roles that are out there for myself and my peers. I love seeing you crop up in the Mindy Project, which is one of my favourite oh, shows. <laughs> also playing a doctor. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got form. <laughs> would you like to see more comedy? I would, I would, I would. Yeah, I definitely would. I don't know when that will be or what that looks like. And, you know, the more you do shows like Riviera, the less people think of you as a, as a comedian. But um, I do have a sense of humour, if that helps. I'm good with timing, <laughs> I think, on a good day. I'd love to not have to cry every day. On, you know, mostly when you're in a drama, you go to work and you have to be angst-ridden and fraught and sad and angry and all these things, that these emotions that you have to dig up. And it, uh, with a comedy, it'd be nice to, to be able to laugh. And not have buckets of water thrown at you. Exactly. <laughs> well, that could be funny. You know, there is a comedy version of that. That's what needs to be made. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thanks very much to Julia there. Riviera returns to Sky Atlantic this Thursday. Hello, podcasters. Are you hungry? I am. Well, actually, I always am. That's why I'm doing a new series called Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, where I take interesting people to eat in a restaurant I reckon they'll like. I've spent my career interviewing over the dinner table. You just find that people relax more when they're being pelted with fine wines and being fed ample food. So in this first series, I'll be breaking bread with a whole bunch of people, including Richard E. Grant. Like a multiple rolling gastronomic orgasm. Mel C, Stanley Tucci, Tracy Ullman and Jamie Dornan. Out to lunch with Jay Rayner. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. You know you don't want to miss an episode. As you know, the worst thing about me and Jeffers as TV journalists is that we don't really watch Game of Thrones. I know it's terrible. We're very ashamed. It came to an end this week, which is a massive relief for us. Uh, And it was kind of mixed reviews from its viewers who are usually very loyal to the series. So, Jeffers, my big question to you this week is, what other programme, which other hit would you like to see killed off before it outstays its welcome? First of all, I thought about drama with this one. And I like The Bay, the first series that was just on. It's been recommissioned. I just don't know where that's going to go, so I'm a little bit worried about that. I thought about killing that off. Liar, again, really enjoyed the first series. Feels like any time there's a big hit, it's, it's got to be a second series. Again, I'm not sure. It's going to be another court case, one a bit like Broadchurch that time. Worried about that. But my definite one for this thought of is Celebrity Juice. That should have just never existed to start with, right? I mean, people really love it. And it, it started in 2008, 21 series now. I just feel like that joke has been done. All the permutations of the sort of jokes they do, it's been done to death. I feel like Keith Lemon as a character, played by Lee Francis, a nice enough guy. I just feel like that character has been done to death. I'm, I'm, I've had enough of it. I'd be more than happy for that character to disappear. But Celeb Juice itself, a lot of the jokes are quite sort of innuendo, a lot of sort of sexual references. 
feel like again maybe in in this era now it's not the right show it's it's a show from 2008 sort of showing its age a bit so personally that would definitely be the one that I've been off what about you got any ideas why I just hate it when things go on too long this is a real bugbear of mine to be honest Bodyguard I know that they have to do a series too because you know it's such a big hit and it's the most talked about TV programme where are they going to go with it why do we need a series too why can't we just say that was good Let's move on to something else. Realistically, they can't go anywhere with that because there's no way he could go back to the force, I don't think. So it is going to be really... I'm interested to see how they're going to take it on. And Jed, obviously, is a great writer. But I agree, it's a common problem in drama, I think. Anything that does six, seven, eight million, it feels like they have to recommission it. But there has to be the storyline to back up, doesn't there? And I'm going to be controversial and say Killing Eve as well, which I absolutely oh. loved. But I'm worried. They've already commissioned Series 3. Is it going to get diluted? How long does that chase carry on? Series one was so perfect. I do worry. You know, I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge was on something with Fleabag and just stopping at two. It was perfect. It was ideal. Don't go any further. And I really hope that they don't string out Killing Eve too long. Another section of the podcast where we can just end it saying Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a genius. Great. Let's talk about a couple of documentaries now. Monday saw the premiere of Thatcher, A Very British Revolution on BBC Two. I would have thought some people very put off just by the title. I know that she's very divisive as a figure. Jeffers, what did you make of this? Well, working for The Mirror as well, I thought I'd absolutely hate this, to be honest with you. And most of my thoughts about Margaret Thatcher, when I look back, they're generally negative. And I had to watch this for work and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be painful. But it is very interesting. And it's sort of like a time capsule as well as just being about Margaret Thatcher. It does look back at different periods of political reign and and different periods of Britain, really. It goes right back to, to obviously starts with her early career back in the 70s before I was even born. And it, it shows a very different time in politics. There's an interview where Margaret says she could never imagine a female prime minister, which, which, which is it's great. It's amazing bit of footage. Yeah, and it's, it's great to sort of see that and see how, how far we've progressed in a, in a good way. And the, the, the other thing is there's lots of very good talking heads in this. They've got all the people who knew her best from those times and some nice sort of more innocent stuff. That there's talk of her spending a lot of time in the evenings in Parliament ironing her husband Dennis's shirts. It was just uh, quite a fascinating look. It's a five-parter, this, which, again, I thought, blimey, it's a lot. Five hours of Thatcher, it's not going to do well. I think people will be talking about this. It is very interesting. What did you make of it? Well, yeah, Thatcherism was kind of before my time, really. And I know all I hear about is all my left-wing friends saying how terrible she is. So I kind of went into this with a lot of sort of ideas about what I thought she was like but certainly from a feminist perspective it was really interesting that bit of footage you talked about but also just kind of all the rubbish she was up against and how she had to sort of scrap around to try and get any respect she actually seemed very personable in those early interviews when she you know she was talking to tv broadcasters and you know trying to get trying to make her name I just thought it was really interesting because like I said I just know so little about her other than what other people have told me and what other people have said about the minor strike and you know what she stood for that just as a piece of history I found it really quite interesting and, and well made as a documentary and incredible to think it was almost like a happy accident that she even got in to become leader of the Tories the sort of selling point to get other Tory MPs to vote was, well, she's not going to win. Why don't you just give her a vote in this first round and then we'll get the heavy hitters in for the second round of the elections. And she gets so many votes, she ends up being sort of unbeatable and sells through and and the rest is history. And she she eventually becomes prime minister. I find that really interesting. I'm sure people who were around that, that, that time, it won't be 
as great or such big news to them, but I think perhaps for younger people it, it is interesting. I'm sure the middle parts of this five-parter maybe are going to be less pleasurable to watch. There's going to be a lot of things like the poll tax rights and a lot of negativity, and also perhaps towards the end it's going to be quite emotional and, and the, the country's going to be in quite bad shape. But as the first part goes, I thought it was really interesting and sort of captivating to watch, yeah. Yeah, I agree. OK, well, let's talk about something very different now in this little section. Netflix has got this show that people have been chatting about on social media. I've just sort of heard about Tiny House Nation. How would you sum this up, Jeffers? I mean, this couldn't be more different from what we've just <laughs> talked about. It's a cross between changing rooms, grand designs and DIY SOS. That's sort of, if, yeah. if you can get that in your head. Um, and it's two guys called John Weisbarth and Zach Giffen. And they are helping families to build and to basically move into these tiny houses. They've all got to be under 500 square feet. Basically, though, it's families living in really posh caravans. That's sort of what it is <laughs> in America. For various reasons, I think some of them haven't got much money. Some perhaps don't want to have a massive mortgage. Or some of them have got sub stories that you find out about. And these guys really do help bling up the houses that they're going to be in. And they, some of them do look incredible for, and the amount of things they're able to fit into the space is pretty interesting as well. So it's probably for people that like your grand designs or, or used to like change rooms. It's, it's that sort of style show. It's very light. I suppose if you're a different type of person to the person that watches What If, this again could be sort of your guilty pleasure in the sense it's quite trash, it's quite easy to watch. I, mean, I don't know whether you enjoyed it or not. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I just... I don't know what, I can't really explain why, but whenever they said tiny house, I found it absolutely hilarious just because they're using that as a sort of scientific term. It's a tiny house. And I just, I was obsessed with them. Um, and they're, they're beautifully made. They're almost like little log cabins and everything has its own place. So you have things that, you know, bookshelves that rotate and uh, stairs that are perfectly built so that they go, so that they use kind of the least amount of space. It's all very efficient. And something is very pleasing about that. Um, one of my friends is half Japanese and I love how like everything in her house kind of has its little space and it fits and that's somehow very therapeutic I think to watch on TV and, and it's also got that same kind of journey that all these kind of shows have you know seeing this family they're stressed out because they can't get this this tiny house finished even though it's tiny uh, and then someone kind of whooshes in and saves them at the end so that's quite fun and you get that makeover feeling I quite enjoyed it I mean I don't need to watch the next episode I didn't need to binge watch it but it was just it was quite nice you know sometimes you just want to have something on while you're tidying or while you're doing the washing up that's kind of half there I quite enjoyed it for that kind of programming it would be perfect for that I think it was originally on the FYI cable channel in the States started in 2014 so there's loads of episodes but also you get those sort of jumps where there's clearly was an ad break so you can kind of like you say be doing it doing the ironing doing the washing up and you could look away for five minutes look back and you, you're pretty much still with it you know you're not going to lose track of what's happening you sort of need to see the start roughly what it looks like and the end that's the same with all those shows really I suppose apart from Queer Eye where you really want to see everything they do but basically just watch the first five minutes last last 10 minutes you're done and my only worry as with all these sort of shows is a lot of it is being made with MDF or those type of words and I wonder in six months time or a year if we went back to this tiny house would it be you know a tiny skip or would it you know what sort of condition these things are in a year or two down the line or and they all say they're having great fun but let's be honest if you were living in that small house you'd have some rows wouldn't you I mean it looks too small a space to have a couple or in some cases more than two people living in it I'm not sure I could do it. You're such a wood snob. I was unaware <laughs> of this. Uh, yeah, no. And also, so everything's perfect, but then there's things you don't think about. So the first one, where's a wardrobe? There's no room for a wardrobe. Where's room for, for a pair of shoes when you take them off? Well, shirts, I thought there's no, there was no place that you could actually hang a shirt. There wasn't a wardrobe big enough. So there are, there's definitely some drawbacks, but hey, there's no mortgage. So I guess there, there's one bonus. <laughs> Tiny house living isn't for us, Jeffers. No, definitely not. 
Now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, it was Alex Horn. He chose The Detectorist. I think we thought that was quite a good choice. This week, it's the turn of Alex Norton. There's been a murder from Taggart. That was not my Scottish accent. Uh, and he'll be starring in Hatton Garden, which we've been talking about. This is his box set to watch before you die. I'm Alex Norton. And the box set that I couldn't live without is Martin Scorsese's collection called The Blues, A Musical Journey. If you were black for one Saturday night on BSP, you never would want to be white anymore. Oh, three o'clock in the morning, baby. And the reason I think it's so important is because the blues defined the music of my generation. When they got to the big city, they plugged it into the wall, made it into electric, boom! From rock and roll through the Beatles, up to punk, I guess. Everybody drew from the blues. And I noticed then that white America started paying attention to blues. And so it started to open in a lot of doors that had been closed to us. It's the real roots of the music of my generation. I urge you to watch it. Brilliant. Now, first off, I love that because Alex obviously really loves that programme. It's not an HBO drama to make him look cool. He obviously really loves watching that. But I've never heard of it. Have you? I've got some vague sort of memory in the back of my mind. So I think it might have been on Sky back in the day. I I tried to do some research. It first aired on PBS in the States in 2005. And if it would have been on Sky back then, I I can't find details. If you guys like the sounds of it, you're going to probably need to buy the DVDs, about 20 quid on Amazon. But it does sound absolutely fantastic. It's Scorsese. It's a series of seven films and you've got other world famous directors involved. And it's just basically the history of the blues. Yeah. But the blues are responsible for the foundation of jazz, soul, R&B, rock and roll. And it basically traces the roots um, of of almost of all music, really, uh, through these films. The reviews are fantastic. Like I said, I had a vague recollection of it, but I've definitely never seen it. And it, it does sound really interesting. Fantastic. Well, maybe you should go and, go and buy the DVDs. Uh, thank you very much, Alex, for that. You can catch up with Hatton Garden on the ITV Hub. It's on every night this week on ITV as well. And there'll be another box set to watch before you die next week. So we're nearly out of time for this week's episode, but we save the best till last every week. We need to scan across our EPGs, hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. This is the moment that Mark Jeffries comes into his own. This is what we're all waiting for. Jeffers, what should we be keeping an eye on next week? Next week, I'm going to pick out Piers Morgan's what? life stories. I gave you such a big intro and you picked Piers Morgan. Well, it's, it's really good, this. So this Saturday, you've got Mel B on, which is not next week, obviously, but it's a really good episode. Next week, he's got Broadcasting Royalty. He's got Michael Parkinson on. I went to see this be filmed. It's a really, really good show. I think lots of people are going to talk about it. Lots of people are going to enjoy it. I know not everyone likes Piers, but I do think when he does these interviews, he gets really good guests. So I think 
Michael Parkinson next week, and I'd also say watch Mel B this week as well. So it's, it is really good. And Michael Barrymore's coming up as well. That's going to be an amazing interview. Yeah, I think that, think this this series coming up, he, he's really pulled out, and he has got some decent people on. So so I do think it's worth a recommendation. Okay, next month. Next month, I think it's going to be more your bag. We've got Black Mirror yes. back June the fifth. Three episodes dropping. Andrew Scott. Anthony Mackie, Miley Cyrus, all involved. I think that's going to be really good. It's the usual thing, looking at sort of the way we look at technology, perhaps mocking us a little bit in the 21st century. Always a lot to be talked about, I think, when, when Black Mirror episodes drop and, and we've got three coming, so I think that's quite exciting. And uh, what about next year? Next year, there's two things that came out um, recently that being filmed. BBC Two are going to do a factual drama called Salisbury. It's going to focus on the impact of the Novichok poisonings in Salisbury. I think that could be quite a good two-part drama. The other end of the spectrum, Netflix have announced a new fashion series. Great. Next in fashion, it's going to have Alexa Chung and Tam France from oh. Queer Eye. <laughs> you lost me, Alexa Chung. But okay, what are they doing? Just chatting about fashion. Yeah, so, yeah it's going to be looking at new stuff coming up in fashion. Yeah. Oh, you'll love that. Right, lots for us to keep an eye on there. That's all we've got time for this week. This has been the Series Linked podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, and we hope that you are, please do leave us a five-star rating and a review. See it as your good deed for the day. And make sure you've subscribed as well so that the next episode will be ready and waiting for you when it drops next Tuesday. For now, though, bye-bye. See you next week. Hey, what's up? Just got my flu and COVID shots. You get yours yet? Nah, I don't have insurance. Dude, lots of places have the shots for free. Really? But are they even safe? Yeah, and vaccines help prevent serious illness. I'm not missing out on this season, especially with Nate's party coming up. Okay, okay, I'll get mine too. Shots hurt a little, but missing out hurts a lot. Get your flu and COVID vaccines. Brought to you by Iowa HHS.